I am going to be, uh, throughout the summer, when I'm preaching, I have a couple conferences I'm doing and stuff, but uh, when I'm here, I'm going to be continuing the series that we really began earlier on discipleship. And um, so I want to talk on this morning kind of a foundational big picture aspect of discipleship. I want to call this training for the kingdom. Training for the kingdom. And as the ushers get ready to come forward and we're going to continue to worship the Lord by taking up an offering, I want to read this passage here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. Training for the kingdom. Paul says, All that I do, I do for the sake of the gospel. All the suffering I've gone through, the beatings that I've taken, uh, all the things I've forsaken, I, I do it all for the gospel. Why? So that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. That's part of their training. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. And what Paul is saying there is that uh, we should have the sort of intensity uh, the concentration on self-control, on discipleship that an Olympic athlete has. In fact, more so because while they're competing for a, a temporary gold medal, we're competing for an eternal one. And so there needs to be that kind of intensity. So I do not run aimlessly. Paul says, I'm not running this race without a goal, without a purpose, without a plan. No, there's intentionality behind everything I'm doing. And I do not box as though beating the air. I'm not just practice boxing. This is the real McCoy. This is the real thing. I'm in training, he's saying. But I punish my body and enslave it. Why would you do that? Well, because he's training for the race. He's, he's, he's running to win. So that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Training for the kingdom. I want to pray uh, for this message. I want to pray for the offering. Could I get a dozen, couple dozen people around the auditorium to be praying that the message would have full power and authority from the king as it goes forward? I need some people in the back uh, who will be intercessors in prayer. You can listen to the message, but I uh, need some prayer to be covering it. Over in this area. I need a couple. There, there. Okay, now, now I feel good. All right, Father. It is with joy and a sense of privilege that we uh, now offer back to you a portion of what you've blessed us with. God, we acknowledge that you uh, are the source of all things. In fact, you're the owner of all things, and we're just stewards. And so guide us in how we steward this and be glorified by, by uh, how we steward this. Father, and use it to further your kingdom. Create in us, in our minds and in our hearts, kingdom priorities and kingdom values that swim upstream of a, in a culture of materialism. And Lord, as the word goes forward, I pray, God, that it would have all the authority that, that it can have as your word, not mine. Use it, Lord God, to make us fully devoted disciples, apprentices of Jesus Christ, athletes in training. Help us, Lord God, to get a vision for the kingdom that motivates and transforms us to be involved in discipleship. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Uh, it was Thursday that uh, I came home. I, I had been uh, running a bunch of errands, uh, shopping and whatnot, and I came back, and I was, it was one of those days where you didn't sleep well the night before, and driving around makes me tired, and shopping really makes me tired. And so I got home, and I wanted to take a nap, something, oh, terrible. I was hungry, kind of irritable, I was hot, and I wanted to take a nap. So I 
I'm all psychologically prepared to go upstairs and take a nap. And my daughter, Danae, who's sitting right up here, says, Dad, you ready to go out running? And I'm going, no, no. It's training time. This is when we're supposed to do our intervals. You runners know what intervals are. They're the most unpleasant experience you have as a runner. You go out to a track and you run a mile, gasping for air, and rest a couple minutes, run another mile, gasping for air, rest a couple minutes. You do six of those or, or maybe more. It's interval training. And this was the time we're supposed to do interval training. And I wanted to do nothing less than interval training. But did I go, Danae? Did I go? Did I go? Did I go? I did. I went. Because I am disciplined. You see, I'm in training. We're in training. We, we have a goal here. Uh, we, my, my daughter talked me out of a 10-year retirement from running uh, a little, some time ago. And, and so she wants to break three hours in the marathon. And I'm foolish enough to want to break it with her. And so uh, we're training for, we're calling this the 259 Boyd Express. Uh, we're going to run a 259 marathon. That's, I, I think she can do it. I'm not so sure about this old carcass, but we're going to give it a go. But you can't do that without training. And so we've got this goal. We, uh, the other day I ran 20 miles, you know, went out in the woods and ran all around and, and took a couple of hours. I mean, we're animals on this thing. Now, why would you do that? Why would you go to a track on a hot day when you want to take a nap and you're in a cranky mood to start with and run six-mile intervals with just a little rest in between and get your legs all sore and get up two days later and run 20 miles? Why would anyone in their right mind do such a thing? Well, they wouldn't, but why would anyone who's not even in the right mind do it? And the answer... The answer is that we've got a goal. We've got a vision. You see, we, 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 we can picture this 259 Boyd Express, right? Can't we, Danae? We visualize it, you know, and, and, and we see ourselves with the song Chariots of Fire in the background. Dun, 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 dun. And we're, we're, we're coming down there. And it's 259, 58, 259, 59. And we cross the finish line. And the crowds are going crazy. And the bands are playing. Everyone's cheering. And our chiseled bodies are gleaming with sweat. And there's a sense of satisfaction in the whole thing, you see? And so we enter into that vision. It's concrete. We can see it. We can taste it. We can feel it. And that's what motivates us. You see, you, you think about the 259 Boyd Express. Okay, I got to do it. A lot of things I'd like to do that I'm not going to do, and a lot of things I don't want to do that I'm going to do because of the training we're in training. Take away that motivation, and I'd never get out there in that kind of heat and doing that kind of exercise. If there wasn't that kind of vision, a goal that was worth it, who, who would ever do that? You might get a little mileage out of putting someone, you know, putting some fear in them, like you're going to get high blood pressure if you don't exercise, you're going to have a heart attack if you don't exercise, you know, or whatever. And that's maybe a true thing. But no one's going to go out there and do, put forth their maximal effort because they're afraid of something. It's the same thing in Christianity. You see, if you take away the vision, all you've got to work on is fear. A lot of people, their, their reasons for doing anything from a Christian point of view is, is out of fear. Uh, you know, they're afraid, of, you know, they don't do something because they're afraid that God's not going to like it and, and they're going to go to hell if they do this or, or whatever. And there's, there's, you can get some mileage out of that, but you'll never become a passionate disciple until you get a vision for what it is you're working for. A lot of people don't get passionate about being a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus Christ, because they don't see how it fits in. There's not a sense of continuity between what they're doing now and the goal that they're, they're working for. They don't see the finish line, so they have trouble passionately getting involved in the race. So what I want to do today is just talk about the finish line in the race. 
What is it that we're, what is the goal that we're looking for? Get a picture of this. What is the goal that we're striving for? And then how does it fit into our present life, our present, our, our present circumstances? Sometimes I preach to motivate and sometimes I teach to instruct. This is much more of a teaching time just to give us a big picture of what's going on in this world to provide a context in which we can make sense out of discipleship to see that it's an important, good, uh, essential thing in our life. So what is the goal that we're shooting for? In a nutshell, the Bible would say it's this. It's to participate perfectly in the blessedness of the eternal kingdom. To participate perfectly in the blessedness of the eternal kingdom. Paul says, all that I do, all that I do, it's to participate in the blessings of the gospel. We're to be kingdom people, more specifically. And this is what I'm going to break out here. The kingdom is, is, is to be perfectly manifested. When we, get, when we cross the finish line, the, perfect, the, the kingdom of God will be perfectly manifested to us, in us, and through us. Let me talk about all three of those things. First of all, the, God, the, the kingdom will be perfectly manifested to us. This is the prize. This is what we're shooting for. Right now in this world, there's a lot of ambiguity. We're in a war zone. The world has fallen. We ourselves have things in our life that are not consistent with the gospel, uh, and they cloud our vision. We don't see things very clearly. But when we cross the finish line, the Bible promises us we'll see and know and understand things with perfect clarity. We'll see God for who God is. We'll understand ourselves for who we are. We'll see each other as we really are. Right now it's all veiled. So Paul says this, now we see in a mirror, dimly. But then we will see face to face. We just see a reflection now. And back in those days, mirrors were like just jagged rocks, like a picture of a dirty piece of metal. So it's very dim. But there's coming a time, Paul says, when we'll see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. I'll know God fully. I'll know myself fully. We'll know each other fully. When the facade of all that conceals uh, the truth is done away with, then we'll know things perfectly. Most importantly, we'll see Jesus for who he really is. Right now, we don't see it clearly. We just have to trust in his goodness, trust in his love. We sometimes don't feel his love. Sometimes our vision is very clouded. Sometimes circumstances of life really make the seeing difficult. We walk by faith, not by sight. But there is coming a time, praise God, when we'll see him face to face, we'll know him as he is. It says this in 1 John chapter 3, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed, but what we do know is this. See, we only know in part. But we do know this. When he is revealed, when we cross the finish line, on that day when world history comes to a close, when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Praise God. We'll see him as he is. We'll no longer walk by faith, we'll walk by sight. Then truth will be disclosed. The light will be turned on. Everything will be seen exactly for what it is, including the beauty of God. Do you know that everything you see now that is beautiful, everything you experience now that is beautiful, all the goodness you experience now, it is simply, even in its most peak moments, a, uh, just a little foretaste of the glory that we'll behold when we cross that finish line. 
I've seen some beautiful paintings and I've witnessed some beautiful sunsets and, and enjoyed some beautiful majestic landscapes, things that even just, just kind of blow your hair back in terms of awe. But what I know from the Word is that all of that is a little foretaste, a little glimpse, but, but a, a mere reflection of what we're going to see when we cross that finish line. And there we behold the glory of God. Uh, shining brighter than the noonday sun, we'll see Jesus Christ in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his grace, in all of his radiance, in all of his love. Pure, undiluted, unencumbered by the stuff of this world. We'll see him as he, as he really is. And we'll fall down in worship and adoration, just seeing this thing that, that uh, everything else is just an approximation to. God in all of his glory will see him as he is. The kingdom of God, the rule of God, that's what the word kingdom means. It's the dome in which someone is king, the king's dome. The kingdom of God is, a, is, is, is the rule of love and we'll be seeing everything in the light of that dome. We'll see him in all of his radiance. Number two, the kingdom is going to be perfectly revealed in us. Not just to us, but it will be totally revealed in us. Again, look at 1 John chapter 3, beloved. We are God's children now. Told you I love this verse. We are God's children now. If, if, you have, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're born of an, an imperishable seed. You are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed, though. It doesn't always look like we're the children of God. Somebody say amen. We don't always think like the children of God. We don't always act like the children of God. But you are the children of God. In fact, it's not even clear what, what that's going to look like when it's fully revealed. But we do know this. When he is revealed, oh. Look at this. We will be like him. Everybody say, we will be like him. We will be like him. For we will see him as he is. We will be like him. I, now, I, I, don't, I, I don't know exactly what all that entails, but I know this. I, I really seriously doubt that the transfigured, radiant body of the Lord Jesus Christ has aches and pains in the hips. We'll be like him. I really doubt that Jesus Christ ages. We'll be like him. I really doubt that Jesus Christ is in a wheelchair. We will be like him, praise God. I really doubt that Jesus Christ you know, suffers from leukemia. We will be like him. But even more importantly, Jesus Christ reflects the perfect radiance of the, uh, of the nature of God and all of his love and all of his beauty and all of his glory, and we shall be like him, praise God. We, amen. Think about it. Think about it. When everything about us that is not consistent with the kingdom of God all the things that we struggle with here and now, when that is finally burned away, and Paul says it will be burned away, 1 Corinthians 3, when all of that is done away with, then we will be, as it were, perfect mirrors that eternally reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. He shines and we reflect that glory. We will be like him. That's why the Bible says he's the firstborn among many brothers in a, in a, in a large family. Uh, we will share in that nature. In fact, it, it says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, that we already are participants in the divine nature. But sometimes you never know it because of all the junk that clouds our minds and our feelings and our behavior. But when that is all gone, when the light burns away that fog, we will be like him. We will shine like he shines. His love will be our love. His joy will be our joy. His peace will be our peace. We will throughout eternity, throughout eternity dance in, in, the, in the participation of the triune God, sharing in his love and joy and do it throughout eternity. That's the finishing line and that is good news. Get a vision of that. Get a picture of that. Let it motivate you. Let it, let it transform you. 
In this life, even at the pinnacle moments, there's always a little bit of emptiness, a little bit of the thirst of the soul, a hunger of the spirit still in play. But at that time, when we cross the finish line, everything that we were created to long for and yearn for will be satisfied. Every dream at that point becomes true. That's why you have the dream. And now you are as God created you to be. The kingdom of God, the dome in which God is king, the rule of God will be perfectly revealed to us. It will be perfectly revealed in us. And thirdly, it will be perfectly revealed through us. This is a new one for some folks. But here's the thing. We have a role to play. We have a role to play now. We'll have a role to play later. Heaven will not be simply sitting around, twiddling your fingers, playing a harp, or shooting at little chubby babies, uh, those, those cherub things, you know, uh, with the harp. Some, some, some of the ways heaven gets portrayed is, number one, very unrealistic, so it doesn't function as a real goal that pulls you, but number two, incredibly boring. I, I just, I, I, and for a person who, whose main nemesis in life is boredom, I hate boredom. I, I experience boredom as pain. Uh, the idea of going around or sitting on a cloud, like, well, what should we do for the, you know, today? Oh, same as yesterday. You know, let's sing a song. Let's say, yeah, it's like, no, 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 there's got to be some action. There's got to be some adventure. You know, it's like, well, the Bible tells us that God created us to have a role to play. We are to be mediators of his rule here on earth. There, there, there's a job function. That was the goal of creation. That goal will be consummated. It will be achieved in the kingdom of God. And so the Bible says this. Listen, 1 Timothy chapter 2. If we endure through this life, this probationary stage, this war zone stage that we're in, if we endure, we will also reign with him. God's always wanted a bride who sits on the throne with him. That's a corporate body of people who say yes to him and carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. Revelations chapter 22, there will be no more night when this happens. Uh, They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. That's that radiance we just talked about. And they, referring to the people of God, they will reign forever and ever. There's a reigning that will be going on, a rulership that will be going on, a job function, God's goal. He created us to have dominion over the earth. As we align our will with his will, his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That was always the goal. That will be perfectly consummated when we cross the finish line. Revelations chapter 5, verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on the earth. Interesting passages here. Now, there's a lot of questions that aren't answered. God only gives us our marching orders, tells us what we need to know when we, when, when we need to know it. So it's not clear what exactly we'll be reigning over, how, how this is going to function, what this is going to look like. But we do know that, that the goal involves our being equipped for a job description. We're going to be rulers of some sort, carrying out God's reign on earth. Now, a lot of people don't think about heaven as being on earth, but the Bible's very clear that God's not going to give up on this earth. Sometimes people get this idea that, that you know, Jesus is going to come back and then take us all away, and we're going to go live somewhere else, and then the earth is going to disappear. But almost every verse in the Bible that talks about the kingdom of God has it here on earth. Sometimes people say, well, look, at Jesus said, I'm going to go away to prepare a place for you. True, but if you read Revelations, he prepares that place, and he brings it back to earth. It says in 2 Peter that God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. His presence is, is, his, his, his presence is going to purify this world. It will be new, but it will be a perfected version of what we have right here and right now. 
I don't know whether there'll be buildings and streets and we'll fly in airplanes. I, I have, who knows? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has in store for those who love him. I don't have the details, but we're going to be, it says here in this verse, we'll be reigning here on the earth. We will be rulers, co-rulers with God, his viceroys. The, the job that God had for human, human beings in the first place will be consummated. Now, a lot of people ask questions like this. Well, how is this going to occur? And the answer I give is, I have no clue. None. Zero. I, uh, more importantly, I don't know why it would be important to have much of a clue. I am just puzzled by how much energy some people can spend trying to decode the Bible with all its various symbols about the coming of the Lord, the establishing of his kingdom when we cross the finish line, and how he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth. And they want to know the chronology, what exactly happens first, and what all is exactly literal, and what's figurative, and, and, and will the resurrection happen all at the same time, or will the saints be resurrected first, and then the wicked, and is that a rapture kind of a thing, and, and does that happen before the tribulation period, or in the middle of the tribulation period, or after the tribulation period, and is the tribulation period seven years, or is it four, 14 years, and does it happen before the millennium period or does it have it after the millennium period or maybe there's not even a literal millennial period and it's like and they get the charts and they got the schemes and, and then, 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 oh, then now we got to figure out who is the antichrist you know well maybe it's this person that person or his grandmother who knows and, and, and where they coming from and, and you got to get all this stuff up. and man you can sell 10 million books if you do that but I'm wondering why that's like you know me and Danae trying to debate which foot will go across the finish line first will it be our left foot or will it be our right foot who cares we want to cross the finish line as long as we get there this is a it's a major distraction from our training if you get preoccupied in that. I don't know how exactly it's going to happen. I do know th this, that all of the various images that the Bible gives us of this uh, depict it as happening suddenly. Suddenly, it, it, there'll, there'll be a, a change. We're laying the runway strip of the work that we do spreading the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. We're laying down the runway strip for our Lord to come and land, and then he's going to set up his kingdom, and it's going to happen suddenly like a thief in the night. But if you want to know exactly the chronology and the details and this and that, and the other thing, uh, I haven't got a clue, and I'm wondering why you, why you need to have a clue. Other people wonder about when is this going to happen? When? A 88 reasons for 88. Remember that book that was going around in 1988? One book that you're not going to find on the shelves anymore is a book that was very popular in 1993. It's about how the end is going to happen in 1994. Uh, it, 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 I'm, I'm serious. It, it sold a lot of copies in 1993. It's not so hot on the selling list right now. Uh, when is this going to happen? Well, you know what? I don't have a clue. And you know what? I don't care. And I'm wondering why any... All I know is this. Paul lived like it was going to happen in his lifetime. Every other Christian throughout history has ha lived like it's going to happen in, in their lifetime. The Bible tells us to be ready, so live like if it's going to happen in, in your lifetime. Live like it's going to happen tonight. Live every day to the fullest. Invest every day as though it was your last day, like you could die tonight, because for all you know, you might. Live it to the fullest. But whether it's one year or a hundred years or a thousand years, none of us have really got a clue on that, and it doesn't do much good to speculate on it, especially in the light of the fact that Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. There, there you go. Just plow forward. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep running that race. Invest every day with passion. And be ready for whatever it happens. It will happen suddenly. I don't know how and I don't know when, but I do know this. It's so crucial that we keep our eye on that prize that uh, his kingdom is going to be revealed uh, in us, to us, and finally it will be revealed through us. What is the purpose of the present then? 
If that's the goal, that's the prize, that's the finish line, what role does this present life have? It's amazing to me how many believers don't know what the purpose of the present life is. They're basically waiting for heaven. You know, this is just sort of a waiting period. And I suggest to you that it's not a waiting period at all. This is the time to be preparing for that goal. The purpose of the present is basically this. If the goal is to have the kingdom perfectly manifested to us, in us, and through us, the purpose of the present is to have the kingdom of God increasingly established to us, in us, and through us. And I want to break down all three of these as well. First of all, the purpose of the present is to have the kingdom increasingly revealed to us. And this involves our developing a capacity to see the Lord, a capacity to enter into worship and things like that. But the most fundamental thing it means is this. It means our, the call on our life to make a decision. We are in a stage of history, and this whole epic has been like this. It, it's a probationary stage. It's the stage in which you determine, you decide whether or not you'll be born in the kingdom or outside the kingdom. It's a probationary uh, time of life. God, God's kingdom, the dome in which he is king, is a kingdom of love, and love can't be coerced, and love can't be programmed. It's got to be chosen, and this is the time in which we choose it. Every individual is given this fundamental choice. Do you want to be married to Jesus Christ or not? Just like in, in, in every uh, relationships we get involved in, uh, there's a time for courting. You decide whether you're going to get married or not, and then you make the decision. This is the courtship period. And God's saying, do you want to belong to the bride or not? Everything in life, if you look at it, everything in life goes through a, a, a period like this where, where uh, you know, the, the acorn tree is a, is a seed before it becomes a tree. There, there's, a, there's a preparation stage, and then the thing uh, grows. Uh, human beings, there's a nine-month gestation period, and then you're born into the world. Well, this is, if you will, the gestation period for eternity. We are here developing and what is being determined is whether or not you'll be born into the kingdom of God or whether you'll be stillborn. In a gestation period, one uh, genetic defect going wrong early on can, can mean that the child's going to be stillborn. So also, what goes on in this epic, this gestation period, is absolutely crucial, decisive for what goes on when reality finally sets in. This really isn't reality. This is the gestation period for reality. When reality finally comes, it will be permanent. And the question is this. Will you be on the inside of the kingdom or will you be on the outside of the kingdom? The way the Lord always operates, you see this pattern throughout the Bible, is he gives period, people a, a gracious period to resolve themselves one way or the other, and then he brings the end, and the end always comes suddenly. You see this with the flood. He, there was a period there that he went on, uh, you know, putting up with human beings, and then there's a period where he says, okay, it, it's coming to the end. He salvages whatever can be salvaged, and he destroys whatever needs to be destroyed. Whatever's consistent with his program is saved. Whatever's inconsistent is done away with. Peter says that it will be just the same way when God wraps up his program here on the earth for this epoch. Only now he won't purge the world by a flood. He'll purge it with a fire, which I take to be a metaphor of his purging love. Uh, whatever's consistent with his character will be refined by that fire. Whatever's inconsistent with, with his character will be destroyed by that fire. And then he starts over again, and now the kingdom of God shall be established. This is the probationary period. The purpose for the present time then is, first of all, to decide. Are you, are you going to be in or are you going to be open to God or not? The crucial variable, 
on whether or not you're going to be in the kingdom or outside the kingdom is not so much what goes on in your head, the content of your brain, but rather the disposition of your heart. Is your heart one that is open to God or is it closed to God? Is your heart salvageable or is it not salvageable? Is it consistent with the dome in which God is king, the kingdom of God, or is it inconsistent with that dome? It's not so much the theology of your head as it is the disposition of your heart. The thief on the cross had very little theology. In fact, he had no theology. What did he know about the Trinity or the, you know, the... Full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ or, or the eschaton or, or the ecclesiology or pneumatology or bibliology or anything. He didn't know squat. He was a thief all of his life. Here he is dying on the cross, but this guy dying next to him. There's something in his heart. His heart at that moment opened up to God. And it, it, he somehow got the intuition that his only hope is with this guy. And that's all God's looking for. Is your, do you have a heart that will say yes to me? The only way you can be assured that, that your heart says yes is by saying yes. The Bible says this, that if you call upon the Lord, you will be saved. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. You make a decision. You say, I want to live not for myself. I want to live for God. I want to enthrone him as Lord of my life. I want to be preparing for the kingdom. And at that moment, you become one of his children. And if there are those here this morning that have never done that, it doesn't matter how good you are or bad you are, whether you've gone to church or not gone to church or anything like that. It matters whether your heart is open or not. And if you've never made that commitment, you've never said, I do, I'm going to give you a chance to do it at the end of this service. So the first purpose of the present time is to resolve a decision. The second purpose, the kingdom of God is revealed to us. We say yes to the lordship of Christ. Secondly, the kingdom of God, of God is revealed in us. And whereas the first aspect is about the decisions we make. The second aspect is about discipleship. The kingdom of God wants to be formed in us. When you say yes to the king, when you acknowledge the revelation of uh, of the manifestation of the kingdom to you, and you say, okay, you are king, a seed is planted in you. It's the mustard seed. It's an imperishable seed. Uh, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that's a a very small seed. You plant it in the ground, but it gradually grows and becomes the largest shrub in the garden. So also the kingdom of God is planted in our being as a mustard seed, but it wants to grow. Its nature is to grow. It's supposed to grow. And as it grows, it gradually begins to take over our thoughts, take over our emotions, take over our behavior, and eventually take over the world. Discipleship is a matter of, of, of nurturing that mustard seed, yielding to the nature that you have by grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose for discipleship is to shape us into people that are fit for the kingdom and to equip us to be rulers of the kingdom, to give us a job description. There's a reason why we're going through what we go through here is to form our character to make it compatible with the kingdom and to equip us for the job that we're going to have in the kingdom. This is why... The primary word that disciples are called in the New Testament is disciples. The word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. It means Christ-like. Twice it's used of people calling the the disciples Christians. Only once is it ever used of a Christian referring to other Christians. But the word that's always used is disciples. You are being discipled. You are being disciplined by the Lord. To become a believer is to become a disciple. One who, who becomes an apprentice, as it were. 
of Jesus Christ. I like Dallas Willard in his great book, A Divine Conspiracy, when he describes Christians as those who are apprentices of, uh, of the Lord. We are, we are to become Christ-like. The goal is to have conformity to Jesus Christ. To, to love like Jesus loves, to act like Jesus acts, to think like Jesus thinks, and everything to be discipled. And we're to see this whole period of life as the opportunity and as the occasion for us to be further discipled, to be apprentices, to learn kingdom principles and values, form kingdom character, and to be equipped for kingdom service. That's what it's all about. When you do this, when you frame all of your life as being in training, it changes everything. Reframe all of your life, all of your experiences, the good ones and the bad ones, in terms as an opportunity for training, and it changes everything. Life is a laboratory by which God is raising up kingdom people to be kingdom people throughout eternity. Most people in the world, this is the nature of the flesh, they frame their experiences according to what makes them happy. The highest goal they know is momentary happiness right here and right now. So if you frame issues and frame circumstances according to your happiness, well, then you act accordingly. You do the thing that you think will make you the most happy. So we run out of conflict as fast as we can. We do avoidance. We do all these different things because we don't want to face problems because we're looking, we're, we're trying to attain right here and right now our own happiness. But apprentices, those who have enlisted in the kingdom, you're in training for eternal service. And our biggest goal, the way we have to frame everything, is that God wants to use it in order to build in us a character that's fit for the kingdom and to equip us for a service uh, that will be appropriate in the kingdom. And every experience we go through, life is a laboratory, your marriage, your job, uh, you know, the circumstances in life, it's all a laboratory for God to train you. I think this is falling off. There we go. Hallelujah. Okay. Okay, it's all a, a, an opportunity to be trained in kingdom service. This is what Paul means when he says in Romans chapter 8, listen to this now. We know that we quote this verse a lot, but I think it's often misunderstood. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God works for the good. It doesn't mean that God causes all things. A lot of things that happen in our life are caused by ourselves. A lot of things are caused by other people. Some things are caused by the devil. There's a lot of things that happen to us that God does not at all will. His will is against those things. They're bad things. They're painful things. They're suffering things. They're evil things. So what it, the cause for things is, is varied. But God is in all of those. If you love the Lord, if you've named him as Lord, you can be assured of this. In all things, however good, however bad, God is going to be working for your good. What the devil intends for evil, God intends for good. He's so smart that even when something that's against his will happens to you, he says, hmm, I can use that for, Greg, for Greg's good. I can build, what a great opportunity to build patience into him. What a great opportunity to, oh, let's work on his integrity right now. What a great opportunity to build, you know, the capacity to love here. He uses all things for our good. Note, he doesn't use it all for our momentary happiness. That's how it's translated sometimes. God's supposed to, his, God's job is to make me happy. That's God's job. Now do it. 
In all things, God's working for my personal happiness. No, it doesn't say that. It says for your good, and what's good for you may not be your momentary happiness. In fact, momentary happiness is shooting way too low because God's shooting at joy, but the only way you're going to find joy is if you frame everything, not in terms of your personal happiness, but in terms of conformity to Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity. This is material. This is fertilizer. You know, fertilizer stinks to high heaven, but it makes grass grow really good. So also, life is full of a lot of fertilizer, but it makes grass grow in our life. In all things, God's working together for the good. The Bible says that those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He uses the material of our life to discipline us. That's not because he's a meanie God. It's because he's a loving God. And he says this event, which really is so unfortunate, I'm going to use it to carve off a little of this that's inconsistent with my character, to carve off some of this which is not going to ever make it into the kingdom. I want to I develop in you a greater capacity to live in the kingdom and rule in the kingdom. And it will have eternal consequences. God is shaping us and refining us. At all times, apprentices, listen to this. At all times with all people, disciples, listen up. At all times with all people in all circumstances, know that this is training ground for eternal service. God is, you're in a gestation period and God wants to use this as a way of, of refining you to expand your capacity, grow your capacity, and equip you for service in a kingdom that will never, never end. Your marriage is on the rocks. That's a sad thing. But don't frame that issue in terms of your happiness, in which case you're going to bail real early. Frame it in terms of, of an opportunity to grow. It's not pleasant. Running mile intervals isn't pleasant, but it's the only way to break three hours in the marathon. Going through these things, not avoiding them, not, not trying to, you know, pretend like they're not there, but facing them head on and let, letting God, trusting God to work the, the circumstance for your good. That's how you grow. That's how you develop the capacity. Your work situation, what a wonderful chance for God to develop patience in you. Raising children, wonderful opportunity for God to develop patience in you. Temptations in life, what a chance for God to develop integrity in us. Uh, conflict with friends, ambiguous situations, aches and pains in our body. Stuff that maybe is not ordained by God, but you know what? Now that it's here, God says, okay, let me in my wisdom just take this and build character. And this is what life's all about. It's not about the here and now. It's preparation. This is the kindergarten for heaven or the gestation period for heaven. God's forming us to be all that we can be in the kingdom of God. Frame it in, in those, the, those, those terms. Running mile intervals would be nothing but pure misery unless I had that vision. But now that you have a vision for the 259 Boyd Express, it's like, it still is very unpleasant, mind you. But you know what? There's a sense of satisfaction. It's like, okay, there's a reason for this. I'm going forward with this. Frame all of life as a training ground for the kingdom. It doesn't make everything pleasant, but it does give a purpose to everything. And now God uses it to expand who you're going to be throughout eternity in the kingdom. The third thing, the kingdom of God is now to be increasingly established to us, in us, and finally through us. God is raising you up to be a ruler in the kingdom. The question is, what will you rule, rule over? Right now, you have say-so. You have say-so. You have authority. We have a distinct authority as, the, as, as, as uh, children of God uh, to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And one of the things God wants us to do is to use our authority 
in ways that are consistent with him, and that's how God expands the kingdom. That's why if the first part was about, if the first part was, was about uh, decision, the second one was about uh, discipleship, the third thing is about expansion. God kills two birds with one stone. As we become faithful apprentices, he uses us to expand his kingdom on earth, to build that runway for him to come back on. That's what's going on in this world right now. So as we submit to him, as we learn to yield to him, as we use our say-so in accordance with him, our authority in accordance with him, he expands his, his uh, uh, kingdom here on earth. The first plot of property you need to exercise say-so over is the property between your ears. It's a three and a half pound of noodles that God's given you authority over. And if you're going to rule the world, you first got to learn to rule your thoughts. Paul says we take every thought captive. And we come against everything that's inconsistent with the kingdom of God between our ears. Take authority over that. Ask yourself the question, is the way that I frame people, is the way that I frame circumstances, is the way that I represent things in my mind consistent with God's will or, or not consistent? You can't expect to rule the world until you rule the space of the world between your ears. Don't buy into the lie of the culture that that's just the way I am. I can't help it. That's just the way I think. Nonsense. It's a lie. That's the matrix programming you. Get free. Get free and take authority over that, uh, the, the, the pound of noodles between your ears. Take authority over your emotions. Take authority over your body. Here's another plot of land that I, 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 as a future king in training, as an apprentice for kingship, I need to learn how to control my body. I need to learn how to control my emotions. I need to learn how to control my thoughts. And so see all the struggles that go with this. Why did Paul say, I beat my body into subjection? It's because it doesn't happen automatically. We're in a fallen war zone. It doesn't happen automatically, and you don't break three hours in the marathon automatically. It takes discipline to do that. So also, we're called to exercise discipline in our thoughts, in our heart, and in our body, in our actions, as training for the future kingdom that we're going to have to rule over throughout eternity. And if you're faithful in little now, he'll make you faithful in much later on. Know that you as a kingdom person have authority. You have say-so, power to affect change in the world. That's what say-so is. You have say-so in every situation that you're a part of. You walk into a room that's full of apathy. You walk into a room that's full of hatred or bitterness. You have authority to now introduce the mustard seed of love in that situation. You can change the world. And this is how God expands the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And finally, let me just say prayer. One of the main ways that God trains us is by calling us into prayer. Prayer, intercessory prayer, is where we, where we align our will with God's will. And we actually practice being on the throne with him. We're practicing ruling on the th- throne. He gives us a scepter, as it were, and, and it, it is intercessory prayer. And when we use it according to his will, it releases his presence on earth as it is in heaven. There's a segment of things that will not get accomplished uh, unless the people of God pray. Why? Because God wants a bride with authority, not a milk toast bride, not a wimpy bride, not a personalityless bride, but a bride who's a queen sitting on the throne alongside of him, ruling in this domain, of, of, of the cosmos according to his will. And so when you pray, know this. You are co-signing his will. It's as we're pulling down the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We affect change in this world. You're practicing your kingship that you're going to have throughout eternity. The prize, the prize, the goal, the finish line is to live in this, in the real world when it finally comes where the kingdom is perfectly revealed to us, in us, and through us. 
And the way to get there is by right now construing everything as an opportunity to further let the kingdom of God be manifested to us, in us, and through us. And that's why discipleship is so absolutely incredible. Close your eyes. Let's pray. I'm going to ask two questions here. Question number one. And I'm not going to call for a response here. I just want you to settle in this. Holy Spirit, help us to see this. Is there an area of your life right here and right now that you need to frame as a training ground? Maybe you've been framing it in terms of your personal happiness and you've been miserable. Just like I'd be miserable running intervals if I was framing that in terms of my own happiness. God's calling on you to now frame it as training ground for the kingdom. Ask the Lord to help you do that. To see this, not in terms of what's in it for you, but what's in, ter- in terms of what's in it for the kingdom. How God can use this situation, which maybe is of the devil. That's okay. He's smart enough to bring something good out of it. How God wants to use it to form you to be a kingdom person. And notice the difference it makes when you frame that difficult person or that that unpleasant circumstance or the struggle that you have in your life. When you frame it as an opportunity for training, your response to it is altogether different. And ask the Lord to help you keep that frame of reference in mind throughout this week until the situation is done away with. Second question is this. Are you here this morning and you have never become an apprentice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never entered into the discipleship. You've never become a participant of the kingdom. You've never opened your heart and your mouth up to Jesus Christ and confessed him as Lord. Maybe you've gone to church a long time. It doesn't matter. The question is, is does God have the commitment of your life? This is what starts your citizenship in the kingdom of, uh, of God. And this is the first step you need to take to resolve this probationary period. If you're here this morning and have never done that, I want to ask you to stand right where you are. If there's anyone here who's never resolved that commitment to the Lord and you want to do so right now, I'll pray for you from up here. Would you just stand up where you are? Anybody at all in this auditorium? Just stand so I can see you. And uh, thank you, brother. Amen. Anybody else? You say, you know what? Okay, I want to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. The alternative... It's what Jesus called the dump. It was Gehenna. We translated hell, the dump outside of Jerusalem. Whatever's not consistent with the will of God in eternity is thrown out in that dump. I say that not to scare you, but just because it's true. You want to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Anybody else? Thank you, sister. Sister, thank you. Brothers, stay standing for a moment. Anybody else? We'll go 30 more seconds. The Lord's tugging at your heart. Sister, praise God. Make the commitment. He died for you. He gave us all for you. I'm just asking you to stand for him. Anybody else? Stand up and say, I, I need the Lord in my life. Amen. Sister, oh, praise God. A sister in the back. Brother, amen, amen. Anyone want to join these? Thank you. Praise God, brother and sister up front here. Hallelujah. Anybody else? You say, I, I, you, maybe you've been doing religion for a long time, but you know you've been doing religion. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a relationship. Brother in the back, praise God. It's about surrendering your life to him. I want to be an apprentice. I want to be in training for that eternal kingdom because that's what never ends. This whole thing is temporary. Who knows, in another couple of years, another couple of minutes, we might be out of here. Anybody else in the back? Another person. Wonderful. Wonderful. Praise God. I, I'm not going to close this down as long as you people keep on standing. This is great. The Lord delights in this. Amen. Keep on standing. 
Keep on standing. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, wonderful. You folks who are standing, I want to lead you in this prayer. And when we're done, here's the thing. This isn't playing games. This is, this is like so serious. Uh, this is like saying I do at the altar, but, but with eternal consequences, okay? Uh, it's, it's not to be entered into lightly. After I lead you in this prayer, I want to ask you to come up here, and this person up here has some information to help you get started in the training that we're talking about. Uh, uh, the devil hates what you just did. We'll try to do everything to discourage you from what you're, you're, you're about to do. So you need some help in, in, in walking forward with this. But pray this prayer for me. We'll pray, you as a, uh, pray with you as a source of support. But pray from the depths of your heart. Heavenly Father, you are my creator, my God, the rightful owner of my existence. And I confess that I have not lived for you but I want to. I right now open my heart to you and I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you to lead me, to guide me, to fashion me in the image of Jesus Christ. And I ask you to forgive me all my sin. And help me turn away from my sin toward you. I surrender my life over to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God, wonderful, wonderful. Praise God, you guys, wonderful, wonderful. Woo! Hallelujah, that's wonderful. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And those who prayed that prayer, please take a moment and come up here and get some literature that will help you get started in this walk. Let me close with this prayer, Father, and as the prayer team comes forward, if you want to have prayer afterwards, I I invite you to come forward and spend some time in prayer over any issue in your life. But Lord, as we go out of here, Lord, help us to remember that we are your apprentices, Lord God. Mentor us, lead us, disciple us, guide us, Lord. Help us to frame everything in life, however pleasant or unpleasant it may be, Lord God, as a training ground for the kingdom of God. And Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on the prize, on the finish line, Lord God, to motivate us to be your disciples with passion and with zeal. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. We love you. God bless you.